Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Judge J.D. Clark of Wise County, Texas, and Councilmember Craig Rice of Montgomery County, Maryland. They are the co-chairs of a broadband task force established by the National Association of Counties. The task force was started in October 2020, bringing together nearly three dozen county government officials from across the U.S. to study the country's digital divide and the challenges facing underserved communities. We discuss what the task force hopes to achieve, how FCC mapping is hurting rural counties, why broadband should be treated as a utility, and more. Um, all right, Judge Clark and Councilmember Rice, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you for inviting us to be on. My pleasure. So you are both co-chairs of the National Association of County or NACO Broadband Task Force, which was officially formed um, just last year in October 2020. So can you tell me a bit about the task force, um, the goal and what the last few months have looked like in terms of um, what you've gotten accomplished or, or what it's looked like since you've been getting it off the ground? Kind of a, a broader view is, is NACO has been heavily involved in trying to bridge digital divides for counties for years now. And it's it's happened in various committees. Uh, NACO is made up of different steering policy committees and the Rural Action Caucus and the Large Urban County Caucus. There's been a lot of different groups and projects within NACO. Um, one of the biggest to date was last year, um, just as everything was getting shut down with the pandemic, we rolled out our True State of Connectivity report. And that was a project where we had rolled out this Test It app for people to actually help us crowdsource the speeds they were experiencing, uh, upload and download speeds. Because one of our big priorities is, as everyone knows, the FCC mapping is not accurate. And a lot of that is sourced from providers. And, you know, if if a house in a census block has the FCC minimum standard, that whole census block gets covered, colored in as covered. And it really hinders further provider investment in a lot of cases. So then we, we go into this, of course, global pandemic, and suddenly everyone, whether you've thought about digital divides or not, you were forced to with distance learning, working from home, telemedicine, all the things that so many people have experienced in the past year. And I really think it was brilliant on NACO leadership's part to see this as an opportunity for counties to really help take the lead of something that a lot of people are now aware of and raise it to the level of a NACO task force, which is a big deal. NACO doesn't just create tasks for, task force on a whim. And uh, I'm honored that they asked Craig and I to be a part of that, and we're excited about it. So far, what's happening is we've, uh, we've got a pretty diverse group of county officials involved as official members of the task force uh, from all different types of localities and with different situations, and the divide looks different in all of those. We also have a great advisory council of corporate partners and providers who are interested in seeing broadband expanded in our communities, and they are able to provide some great uh, technical insight and experiences they have from a different experience set than, than ours as county officials. 
and we are split up into four different subcommittees, and I will try not to forget any of these, but we've got laying the groundwork. One committee is looking at laying the groundwork, like doing broadband infrastructure studies, things that, that maybe you need to do on the front end to look at broadband expansion in your county. We've got barriers to build out, uh, which is huge for a lot of our counties, and that you know, it could be economic, it could be geographic, uh, the different things. And then looking at what the digital divide actually means in different settings. Uh, typically, you hear digital divide and you think of it's it's just a rural issue. And while it is a huge rural issue, you also have digital divides in urban and suburban counties for different reasons. And then there's a subcommittee looking at future proofing our local economies and, and how do we how do we use broadband to help future proof ourselves to be able to adapt and change as technology and communication adapts and changes. And, and that's kind of where we are there. Um, the subcommittees are getting very active and exchanging lots of ideas and thoughts and concerns and really trying to, to let these subcommittees kind of focus in on their areas. And hopefully uh, by the time this is all complete, we will have a really great uh, product put together that identifies some policy changes that are needed, whether it's regulatory or legislative. Um, at the federal level and also at our, at our state level, um, states are in different shapes when it comes to barriers that exist to build out. And even then in our own backyard with county policies, what are maybe things that some counties can do to ease broadband expansion in our own communities? So Craig, I'll hand it to you, sir. Well, I think you covered that part. So <laughs> I think we're good to go there. That's, that's, that's really good in terms of just, just, just framing where we are. Um, you know, and, and what we're hoping to accomplish. And I think that, again, putting this all in context and why this is so important for us and why this was a priority of NACO, it's important for folks to understand that we've heard and seen the stories. Um, the child who has to go and sit in the parking lot outside of where their mother works uh, at a fast food restaurant to be able to access uh, the, their uh, online learning. Um, the story of the um, senior who is disconnected uh, from their healthcare provider and doesn't know how to navigate to get online to be able to do that uh, regular monthly doctor checkup uh, and doesn't even have the, uh, the connectivity device uh, to be able to do that, let alone the uh, background in terms of being able to navigate as well as the signal. Um, and then, of course, with our e-commerce, uh, it's staggering to see um, how the big companies have been able to succeed and have grown uh, significantly uh, in terms of their presence. But then the smaller entities have shrunk and sometimes gone away because they can't compete because they don't have that same sort of uh, e-commerce structure or connectivity. And so uh, it's very clear to us from all the different aspects um, that we need to do more. Um, we see the trouble that it uh, causes. Um, the digital divide has truly become the digital chasm uh, it is something that is uh, significant. And unless we do something at a national level, uh, we cannot continue to piecemeal this together. So many people are going to be lost uh, and never be able to recover. And so that's why the urgency is now. Wow. Well, you both uh, deserve the roles of co-chairs on, on this committee because it is you, you have this topic uh, completely nailed down and you're both highlighting so many things that I could spend hours talking to you about. Um, but you're both local leaders in your own counties, and uh, that's why you're, you're part of this. Um, so uh, I wonder if you could tell me about the specific challenges in your own communities when it comes to digital connectivity. 
So I'll start because Montgomery County is a very unique place. Uh, so I represent, I'm on the county council in Montgomery County, Maryland. And uh, here we actually have uh, a third of our land area, uh, about 93,000 acres that's dedicated solely to farm uh, conservation, preservation, and for us to make sure that we can continue with uh, agricultural production in this area. Uh, that coupled, we are a suburb of the District of Columbia, so we're very urban uh, in that respect as well. Um, and then we have our suburban areas that kind of uh, blend in between. So we've got the suburban, the rural, the rural areas, that actually the area that I represent, and then our more urban areas that are the southern parts of Montgomery County. And so we see all of it. Um, we see all of the challenges that we see across this country uh, when it comes to farmers that are struggling to make sure that their businesses are connected, understanding that e-commerce for farmers is real. Uh, it, it is about um, the old way in which you used to take cash uh, at a farm stand has changed completely. And to now uh, navigate this new uh, era that we're in where folks have EBT cards and actually want to use that to buy fresh produce at some of our farms and farm stands means that you have to have the connectivity that's there. At the same time, all of those rural areas have been significantly uh, and woefully behind when it comes to digital connectivity. And so that needs to change uh, from the perspective of those families and what it is that they want to see for themselves as well as for their businesses. Then we look at our suburban areas, many of which do have connectivity, and so that's great. Um, but speeds certainly remain something that continues to be a challenge. Uh, we've seen some of our industry leaders, including Comcast, just recently announced that with Internet Essentials, they're bumping up some of the up and down speeds that we see. But still, those speeds are still not enough. If you have two children and a, an adult who are working from home, those speeds are still woefully inadequate. I can speak personally, having a high school freshman uh, that's here and just myself and just the two of us have already amassed more data than our data plan allows for. And so um, we've, we've actually gone to the point of having to up our uh, support. We're fortunate enough to have that living on the edge of the agricultural reserve. But then in our urban communities, we know that some of our areas still aren't even connected. Uh, and, and so we have neighborhoods to where um, we do have strong connectivity at very high speeds and other areas to where that investment has not been made, neither at the local level nor at the um, uh, private level when it comes to the providers. And so from that perspective, there's so much work to do all across the board uh, that we see that represents what we're seeing across America. But I know Judge Clark has a perspective in terms of what we're dealing with from a rural standpoint as well. Yes. Yeah, so a little context with my county is Wise County is about 70,000 in population. We have several small cities. The largest is about 6,500, 7,000 people. So the, the great majority live in the unincorporated county here in Wise County. We're just north of Tarrant County, which is Fort Worth, very urban county. Uh, just to our south, we share a, share a border. Uh, because of that, we are getting a lot of subdivision residential growth in our southeast corner of the county. But primarily, we've been a rural county, uh, ag-based county, large limestone quarries, a lot of natural gas production. And some of those pose geographic barriers in and of themselves, but we're 923 square miles. And the investment just has not been here uh, from providers to keep up with what people need for connectivity. Uh, there's always, for a long time, there's been kind of a, a big player in the county, and they don't really have much incentive to do beyond what they do now. And since we don't have much in the way of high density uh, populations, it doesn't always make a lot of business sense for a provider to just 
come in new to Wise County and and drop a bunch of money. It doesn't doesn't make sense economically for them without some sort of other incentive to make it attractive or make sense or make it work for a business. And for us, you know, we um, you know our schools are fortunate in that they've they've assigned computers to all these kids to go home and do work even prior to the pandemic. But then you've got a connection issue when you get at home. Uh, another part of being just outside of Tarrant County, Fort Worth, is we have a lot of people who would like to live out here and live in a more rural setting. And if, you know, look, if they could work from home at least a couple of days without having to do that commute in, but you've got to have uh, the broadband to support that. And then from an economic development standpoint, in Texas, a lot of times if companies are looking to relocate to Texas, like a lot of them are, they will send an RFP to the governor's economic development office. The governor's office will office will blast it out to the economic development organizations in our communities and say, if this makes sense for you, you ought to make a pitch for it. Well, there are a lot of times that when those RFPs come out, you look at the minimum broadband required by this business and we can't even put in a pitch to try and get them to look this way. And so it's an economic barrier as well um, amongst all the other things that, that Craig has touched on. So that's kind of where we are from a rural County. We're 923 square miles. A lot of people spread out. Um, you know, you can't just run into a neighborhood and hit a lot of people because that's not how we live here in Wise County. We're spread out on, on more acreage. So. So a lot of the problems you both speak to, I think, uh, come down to telecommunications policy, and you referenced policy a little bit earlier. So I wonder if we could just talk about what policy changes um, you would hope to see at both a local level and even a federal level um, to to help you advance your goals as far as closing the digital divide in your own communities. Sure, and I'll I'll jump in first on this one. So um, I'm going to start with with in Texas statewide. One of our hopes. Uh, a lot of our counties are hoping this year that we will see some action from our state legislature. They meet January through May every two years. Uh, we don't have a full-time legislature. Uh, but the governor is able in his state of the state to lay out his emergency legislative priorities, and that allows legislators to move first, move fastest on those. And that was just on Monday of this week, and the governor, as his number one priority, put broadband. Uh, which which was huge in Texas. We don't have a state broadband plan. We don't even have a state broadband office. Um, there is some legislation filed to create a broadband office within our Public Utilities Commission. And I think seeing a, a unified push in our state for broadband expansion is really going to pay some dividends because it, it's going to work a lot better than just our individual counties trying to do it on our own. Um, federally, one of the things that we were really getting some traction on and hope to see again is the issue I, I mentioned to you earlier about the FCC mapping. And that's been a problem for everybody. NACO has been a leader on that. Uh, we had the tested app and it really showed that what you see when you look at an FCC availability map for broadband is not what people are experiencing on the ground. We need to redo how those maps are done, how that data is collected, and then, uh, you know, but we need to be able to then follow those maps up with whether it's grant fund funding, low interest, long-term loans um, for rural communities like mine, more robust broadband programs through the USDA uh, would be huge. They have some, of course, already uh, in the new farm bill, we got them to include the middle mile, which is going to be great. A lot of our communities 
you know, you, you read about long haul broadband, we've got that running down our highways. There's programs available for the last mile, which is valuable, but if you can't get that middle mile out to the community hubs, the last mile funding doesn't do much for you. And, um, you know, last I heard that was still, it made it in the farm bill, but was still stuck in the rulemaking process within USDA. And we need to be able to access those, um, you know, the, the FCC, of course, has had some tools available with reverse auctions that one of our local providers has been successful on and being able to ha- add about 300 more households in Wise County, um, which is small, I know, but it's 300 more households. And if things like that work, we need to keep doing things like that. So let me just say that, um, and I agree with everything that Judge Clark said, and it, it, it overarchingly becomes two different buckets. Uh, one is which the promotion of and, and support and adoption of a concept that um, broadband accessibility or broadband access should be something that should be treated like our other utilities. Um, we wouldn't let uh, neighborhoods in our uh, communities across this country not be connected to water or not be collect- connected to electricity. And it is truly now become a fundamental necessity uh, for us to have this connectivity across so many different levels. And so the federal government has to take a stance when it comes to that kind of uh, mindset and then levy the amount of same uh, infrastructure support that they did for those other same kinds of connectivity. Uh, And then it comes down to the policy issues that are at play that allow for competition. Um, That competition then breeds both cost as well as access as well. And so from that perspective, making sure that, look, if a company is not willing, you know, one of our large companies isn't willing to do, then allowing local jurisdictions with support from both state and federal entities to be able to stand this up and make it happen. You know, we're not trying to force the big companies to do something that doesn't make sense uh, financially. We are here to incentivize them uh, to do some of those things if necessary, but also um, to make sure that Um, those kinds of options are out there for localities to do that kind of work. And so I think that, again, with those broad brush kind of approaches and seeing some of the concepts that are laid out in both Senator uh, Ed Markey's bill, as well as in Congressman Clyburn's bill, um, melding all of those things together that deal with equity, that deal with access, dealing with federal E-rate and what goes on there. There are so many different concepts that we'll see that will come out of this robust report uh, that the task force will generate. Uh, that will give great specifics. But that's the overarching principle is is that we have to start treating this like the necessity that it is. And just like I laid out and Judge Clark laid out at the very opening salvo when it came to why it is that we need to do this, it's very clear um, that we need to treat this differently. And the federal government needs to, just like it did with ARA funding uh, back during the uh, Obama-Biden uh, uh, administration, we need to have that same sort of approach when it comes to broadband for this Biden-Harris administration. Couldn't agree more. And just to to round us out, um, yeah, is there anything, you know, we could round us out on an optimistic note. Is there anything that you're already seeing from within the task force um, from different counties around the country that you think could be part of a blueprint for other other counties and, and anything in particular that you're excited about uh, for the year ahead that you'll be working on? I think what I'm excited about so far is as we've all touched on, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer to this and, and what type of broadband will help close the divide in our counties because it's also different. What I'm excited about are the emerging technologies that exist. Um, you know, it's it may be ideal, you know, in a perfect world, yes, we'd have fiber to every home. In my county, in a lot of counties, that doesn't make sense. That's not feasible. 
I'm 923 square miles. I'm very hilly. Got a lot of limestone, a lot of natural gas pipelines through here. It would be a long time before everybody had fiber to their household. And even with the Wi-Fi, the tree canopies cause a lot of issues in a lot of places. But there are a lot of exciting emerging technologies out there that will help create more tools in the toolbox. Say, well, maybe you can't get fiber to everybody, but maybe a provider could try this. And we've got the advisory council with some great partners who are being so innovative and they're able to help fill us as county officials in on things that we don't know. You know, they're able to hear about our counties and say, well, here's something we're working on and open your eyes to a technology that maybe you didn't know existed, a technology that may be on the horizon. And I think making those connections between county government and private partners, innovators and providers, that's where we're going to see the best results is from those partnerships and that communication. And that's what this task force is doing. Some of the promising things that we see that that, that are happening at the local level is a shift um, that 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 shift in the understanding and the prioritization that we need to make these things happen. So you're seeing in a lot of uh, communities across uh, the United States that folks are putting forth that investment uh, and then asking their state and federal governments uh, to really step up and help them uh, along those efforts. And those are the things that a lot of folks were saying before, but really weren't putting their money where their mouth is. And quite honestly, you know, uh, states and the federal government want to see that. They want to see that local jurisdictions are doing it. And that's what's happening. When, you, when Judge Clark talks about the investment uh, that, you, you know, from a small uh, jurisdiction to a large jurisdiction, it doesn't matter. The reality is, is that it's hard to set aside this money when it can be used in so many other uh, aspects that are also equally important to the betterment of the lives of our constituents. But the reality is, is that this is now an economic imperative. This is a public health imperative. This is an educational imperative. It cuts across so many different facets now that this has become a level of prioritization that we've never seen before. Uh, and so from that perspective, it really is one where I'm promised in terms of looking to the future and seeing what can actually happen as a result. And we have an administration who is taking this incredibly seriously, uh, who really understands and says that, yes, we want to see us move forward in this aspect and see us do some great things around it, and is also talking about federal investment. And so I know, and I don't want to speak for the judge, but I, I know that for him, as well as communities across this country, as well as for you know Congressman Clyburn and Senator Markey, seeing something that actually came from the White House uh, that really was a robust plan that elevated all of the ideology that we've put forth uh, and the great things that are happening in our communities and put that all together in sort of some sort of an omnibus package would be my idea of the ultimate solution uh, and really is uh, a way in which we can move forward. And so it's our hope that with uh, how we continue with some of our meetings, getting those best practices that we're hearing, as well as some of the concerns that we're hearing from folks uh, across the country, kind of uh, galvanized together in terms of this report and proposal, we can bring that before uh, the White House, uh, working with uh, leaders like Senator Markey and Congressman Clyburn to really come up with a robust way in which the United States can move forward and elevate itself back to uh, a powerhouse because we are getting left behind. There are other countries who are doing this right and doing it much better than we are.
Uh, and that's concerning from a national security perspective, as well as just from an overall economic and right thing to do perspective. Absolutely. Um, Judge Clark and Councilmember Rice, it's been such an honor to get to talk to you both. And I hope that we'll have the chance to catch up again as you make progress with this wonderful task force. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Councilmember Rice and Judge Clark, for your time. And thank you to our producer, Tian Fu, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.